You're listening to Turf Showtime's radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Nickel pack to the back. Thompson took early. Down the sideline. Here's it up. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown to Gurley. Gurley extending for the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, he's your host. Hello, everybody. Josh Webb here, a.k.a. Fight on Twist with a Turf Showtime radio interview with good old Joe Curley of the Ventura County Star. Uh, Joe currently covers the Rams for the Star, uh, but if you want a little bit about his biography, this is a guy who's been a sports reporter around 16 years. He covered USC and UCLA, which... Look, when you're on that beat, you normally only get one of the two because of how hellacious they are. And Joe covered the both of them from 2000 to 2010, which means that he got the end of the Paul Hackett era, the beginning of the Carroll era, the end of the Carroll era, the Kiffin era, and you also got the Pistol Rick era at uh, at UCLA, which was fantastic. Uh, I love the new Heisel era. Uh, but you've also covered the World Cup in Germany for Star, which is pretty damn cool, and yeah, six right. BCS national title games. I'm reasonably sure there's no team in Los Angeles that you haven't covered. So it's safe to say that you have your pulse on L.A. sports. Well, uh, it's... I've been here since basically since college and um up in Ventura County which is a little bit north of of LA so we go down into to LA to um you know cover the big things and um and it's really a game changer that uh you know to have a uh, a team like the Rams to have not only a professional sports team but to have an NFL team uh in, you know with its day-to-day operations inside Los Angeles so the the Rams coming Back to Los Angeles, back to Southern California was a big deal, but the fact that they're settling uh, within the boundaries of Ventura County is just—it's just a game changer for uh, for Ventura County, which is you know why folks up here are so excited. And you know, it's not just folks obviously in Ventura, although you know that's your beat, which is why you're obviously speaking about it as well as it being the head uh, headquarters. Uh, but I want to ask you a question that I know I'm going to ask you on another interview, but I kind of feel like you opened the door for it. And we've been, we've been bantering a lot about this uh, back and forth among writers in Slack, which is sort of SB Nation's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's how we communicate with each sure. other off the grid. And we've been discussing this amongst ourselves, but 
How do you see the community reacting to the return of the Rams? Like, I mean, you you probably got that micro you know view with with Ventura obviously being really excited because you get the home base headquarters there, so so that's always a plus. But the Rams have also jumped. I, I mean, I don't think it took them any time at all to jump into the community service aspect of things. Right. And you could, and, and while they were heavy on that in St. Louis, this isn't a change. You could definitely look at some of the major things they've done since coming back. Like, let's be clear, they are in in the business of doing charitable work. But when you return back home after having left a fan base for as long as they did, there's an element of trying to win people back, and it would be disingenuous if we didn't say that. Well, um, you know, it's it's certainly a unique situation. It's an interesting situation. It's, you know, to have not just have a team move into a new area, but to have a team return, um, you know. I mean, Los Angeles, let's be honest, Los Angeles is full of teams um, that have arrived here from and have history. You know, you're talking about Los Angeles having the Dodgers and the Lakers and the original Rams, you know, coming from other places. But to have this situation where you've had all these insanely loyal fans who have waited um, decades, who have aged, who have, you know, attempted to, to hand down the Rams fandom to, you know, the next generation and, you know, had their had their uh, their children look at them like, why would I root for the Rams? They're in St. Louis and, um, you know, I'm going to attach to this. I'm going to be like all these other L.A. fans that, you know, you just kind of gravitate to whoever you you know, associate with. And um, it's really, it's going to be a fast, it's been fascinating to kind of learn to meet some of these fans. We have some of these super fans in Ventura County who have reached out via social media and have talked about seeing their photos and how excited they are and how just insane it has to be for your heart to get ripped out, you know, when you're, you know, in in the mid nineties and to have this happen, it's got to be just a surreal experience. So that's part of this year, I think is and part of the reason you know, I've changed my job to cover the Rams is that this is such a unique situation and such a, you know, it's such a, it's such an emotional situation for our readers and for, um, you know, Southern California fans in general. And obviously, you know, that the social app, the um, outreach aspect of of what the Rams are doing, you know, they're reintroducing themselves to the market. They're, um, they're getting out and kind of, you know, letting people know that they're here. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, the, the, the non-hardcore Rams fans, I think it's surreal or even, you know, it, it hasn't really even happened yet because the season's not here and training camp's not here. I think it's just, it's going to be developing throughout the season uh, to see them, you know, how the market responds to the team and how, um, and, you know, not just on, like like Kevin Damas says, not just on Sundays, but also every day of the year. Yeah, and, and, you know, you brought up that point of, of, of you know, sort of guys that, that have been loyal, diehard fans for years and years and years. It's going to be interesting to see some of those reactions. They say you can never re- truly go home. We're, we're, we're about to find out with the Rams. Yeah. Uh, it's a good call. I mean, but I, the other thing about it is I look at it as, as a different team. You know, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's a different era. A, a team is, is, is an ownership group. So when and when the Rams come back with a different ownership group, um, it's not the same as if the same ownership group moved away and moves back because a lot of the ill will 
is associated with that former ownership group. So you're talking about this new group that has come back and, and in their eyes has, has saved that, that fixed that wrong or, or, or made it right. And I think that's kind of an interesting part of this too. I, in you a, would second. think, you would think that that would be what people would use as sort of their measurement stick for, okay, uh, how angry do I need to be at this situation? But when it comes to sports fans, some of them just, they throw the baby out with the bathwater, and, you know, it's like, oh, F the Rams. They left me years ago. I gave up on them. I'm a this fan now, and I'm never going back. And it's just, I wonder how much of that's going to like obviously they're not going to go to they're not going to be like Croatian supporters going to games trying to get their team disqualified or anything. But it yeah, will be. And what I'm curious about is how many of them are going to like come out fronting that way in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, you know, as the Rams start to come back in the community, like they dust off their old jacket one time, and and then it's the shirt, and then. Before you know it, like, all of a sudden they stop caring about that other team they supposedly loved, and they're back at wherever, you know, whatever the field's called then, because it won't be at the Coliseum, you know, with their with their Rams season tickets pretending like they did have that 10-year period they were a Cowboys fan or something. <laughs> I'm just I'm just curious about those dudes. That's interesting. I, I've seen some of it. I've seen some of our local fans who, if you scroll through their Twitter feed, and, you know, they will have talked about the Packers or talked about the Cowboys or talked about, and then the Rams come home, and and it's changed. This is, this is what L.A. football has been for 20 years. It's it um, a different type of fandom. So, Well, let's get to the football then. <laughs> Um, how, in your view, has has the guy that everybody is expecting to deliver this franchise into the next generation, Mr. Jared Goff, how would you rate his progressions? We know that Keenum's number one coming out of the spring. I think anybody with a brain should have expected that. He's the guy with the most NFL experience, like, just because Goff's the number one pick does not mean you automatically get the number one spot. Uh, he's going to have to earn it, and, and a lot of it, I assume, is probably going to dictate on how he does in the fall. So given that, how close do you think this competition really is, and, 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 and how has he done with it so far? Well, I mean, you're talking about a rookie quarterback who's, you know, only been a pro for a couple months. And so, you know, who's basically everything is new and, and, um, you know, so how he's progressed. I mean, there's a lot of talk from coach Fisher and, and Goff himself. And, and I think there was a lot of that. I just want to stop you. You're cutting out a little. So I've only got like part of that first one is, is, uh, is there a way you could start over again? You, that, sure. It was cut. It was cutting out like there was bad reception or something. Let me. Um, I'm on three bars. I'm dealing with my. I've got my. Maybe it's the. I'm, I'm wearing like the Apple headphones. Let me hold the thing closer to my mouth. Ah, that, um, that might be maybe, it. 
Is this better? Do you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah I'll yeah, hold yeah. this thing in my mouth and stop. You know, again, if if it, if we get bad reception, stop being. Actually, it makes sense because I wear that, and sometimes people say I'm cutting in and out too. So that that That's would cool. totally make sense. All right, I'll hold so, the mic part to my mouth, and if it keeps screwing up, what I'll do is I'll unplug it and uh, just use the phone as the phone. So. Well, I hope it doesn't come to that because I know yeah. how painful these damn things can be to lug around. <laughs> uh, so, you know, a- a- anyway, th- there was a lot of talk, um, you know, during OTAs about, you know, a lot of questions and a lot of answers about progression. And, I, you know, a lot of that's, you know, and how he's far he's come and all this stuff. And it's, it, but it's only been a couple months. He's only been a pro for for uh, just a sliver of a time period. And so I, I think everything is new. So certainly, you know, there's just a lot to learn and a lot to um, – I think that the most honest answer we got, I think, was from um, from Wes Snead where um, he was talking about the whole rookie group and he was talking about how, you know, they look like rookies. They're processing everything in their mind and and um, still thinking and, and they haven't reached the place where they're really, you know, really can play freely yet. And I think that's – you have to kind of when you watch Jared, you have to kind of uh, give him that. Um, you know, watching with my own eyes in OTAs, he, he looked like a rookie. He was good for a drop snap here and there. He was good for a couple picks every day. You know, but what I liked um, and what I saw was that you never saw him frustrated. You always saw him battle back and compete. And um, and then there were some glimmers how in, of what. How in particular, specifically that one day, I think he threw like five, four or five interceptions. I in mean, and it's not a game. You know, these are drills. And oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares about like know. that for the long term? I'm curious. How did he respond to that day? How, how, yeah, what was, that exact day. What was day, the mental he, response? Yeah, that exact day ended with him. You know, after I think, I, I don't think we really reported it, but I really think it was back to back pick sixes, same. DB, it might have even been, um, it might have even been the same. I think it might have been Sensabaugh. It might have been the same guy. And you know, DB it might have been the same play. I mean, really. But like the 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 end of that that whole um, period was, you know, in, in a really nice back end back end, back end zone touchdown throw and a step up into pressure through pressure to run in a touchdown. So I mean, he he responded. There was one in the middle of camp. Just a really spectacular, um, you know, like 35-yard touchdown laser, like in the back of the end zone. I think it was to um, um, one of the rookies. But, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of, of who it was. But it, it was just an unbelievable the, – that's the play. When I when I think of OTAs, the one play that stands out um, is just, the, you know, that how he – you know, he would he would make a mistake and step back and and fire and, and and come back. And you saw a lot of that at Cal. You know, he wasn't you know totally perfect playing on a team that that you know was was you know fighting like heck to get its head above water. And, and that's one thing he has a, a, um, a lot of experience in is bouncing back from from issues. And uh, so I think he's going to be pretty. Um, uh, you know, you certainly see the confidence. You certainly see the talent. But I think he's going to be um, be pretty tough, and he's going to have to be as this this team matures. Yeah, and that's uh, you know how do you view him as the answer to the future? You know, is is this something that that Goff? Because every everything you hear about him, and especially you look at the way he answered questions to the media following OTAs, there was. 
very much a presence about him that suggested, okay, at the very minimum, he's got down this idea of, of being a number one quarterback in, in, in an interview. I mean, that's only but one component of many of hundreds of components that will go to make a successful NFL quarterback. But on the field, through the growing pains and with what fish, uh, you know, we're, we're hearing will be extended. So you assume then that he would oversee the, 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 the most critical years of Goff's development. Is this a guy who can get that leadership under Fisher and become the future of the Rams? Well, I mean, they're certainly um, staking everything on it. I, I mean, I have to, you know, I should start out by saying that before the Rams moved, before any of this was a glimmer on the horizon when I was just watching the Pac-12 last year, I, I like Jared Goff as a potential top pick and a franchise quarterback in the NFL. I, I liked what I saw. I saw, you know, I saw potential and, and um you know, I'm no quarterback guru, but you could see it. And, you know, you see why the Rams made this move. You know what it means in this league to have a top quarterback. Rams fans understand because they had Kurt Warner, and then they've seen what they've had at the position since he left. Um, I thought that what really made the trade fascinating to me was you're giving up your first pick the season after you, you relocate like they did. I mean, if you look at NFL history, the Colts and Ravens won four games in their first seasons in Indian Baltimore. The Ravens or the the Rams themselves won seven their first year in St. Louis. The Cardinals, Titans, and Raiders, uh, well, I think it was eight. They were eight and eight in the first years in Phoenix, Nashville, and then and the second time in Oakland. I haven't really exhausted all the research, but two of the three examples of a winning season from a relocated NFL franchise I, I found came in L.A. The, the Raiders were eight and one during the strike season in '82, but that was. You know, they were a legit team back then that had just won a Super Bowl and was about to win another one. Uh, and the Rams go back in, in 46 when they came from, from Cleveland. were 6-4-1. and one. So, you know, I saw it as a gamble because you're, that's a valuable pick, but, but one that Fisher and Snead felt they had to make to carry the team forward. There's a, a lot said about making a splash in this market after the move, you know, to say, hey, we're here. We're the Rams and we're the Los Angeles Rams again. But... I saw it more as a move that you have to make in the NFL to win. Um, so, you know, but you know, so I see it. But you know, one thing the the fan base needs to be reminded of is this: is this is a rookie quarterback? Rookie quarterbacks, especially pocket passers, uh, in this league, you know, take some time. I mean, Steve DeBerg started ahead of Joe Montana and John Elway. Peyton Manning threw twenty eight picks his, as a rookie, lost thirteen games. Uh, you know, obviously Tom Brady is a different situation. You, we didn't see him to what the second or third year. So, you know, rookie quarterbacks are exasperating. So going into the season, I'm going into the season looking at Jared Goff with a low bar, uh, especially when you look at his receiving weapons. Yeah, and do uh, one of the I things you a lot that there. I <laughs> yeah, I kind of I I wasn't sure how it in there, but, but you talk about Kurt Warner in there. Now, one of the things that Kurt Warner was known for w- was his mentorship. I mean, this is a guy who right. really, em- really embraced what it meant to be a part of the team. I'm curious, has there been somebody Rams organization with whom Goff has developed that sort of mentor-mentee relationship uh, position positionally or otherwise 
Well, I mean, you can see that there's a building rapport with Case. I mean, they both talk about each other in a positive manner and bring each other up when they're interviewed. And you also see the, what the Rams have done to reconnect him, or to reconnect the, the franchise with alumni, but to, to reconnect to connect him um, with the old quarterbacks. I mean, you got to recognize the Rams have this great tradition of passers going back to Van Brocklin and Gabriel. And it was really cool when Jim Everett and Ferragamo came out to the draft. You know, when they draft their new quarterback. So, and then you see Kurt Warner. At, you mentioned you see Warner at OTAs. So there's potential for you know that Rams quarterback fraternity to be kind of welcoming another pledge. I mean, I think that's kind of been one of the cooler aspects of the off season. You know, post draft was to see these guys and, and to see you know how Jared responded to them and met them and how they were you know kind of around because I, I think it, the Rams uh, history as a uh, as a passing team is kind of you know it gets forgotten because maybe the last 10 years but there's a there's a lot of tradition of throwing the ball up going back to when they first got to LA switching gears for a second and, and moving to the defense um the Rams made a couple of acquisitions on the defensive side of the ball this offseason obviously you you mentioned one earlier in Cody Sensabaugh uh, but one of the other ones was acquiring Quentin Couples from the New York Jets. And I know myself and Cam have talked about Couples on our podcast, The Flipping Tables, uh, and, and Cam really believes that Couples now more than ever is set up for success, whereas in the scheme the Jets used, he was grossly out of place. This is this current setup is going to be more geared to what he does. And with him on there and Robert Quinn, you expect that that would then start to free things up or maybe vice versa with Aaron Donald uh, eating up space, maybe it frees up things for a guy like uh, Quinn or Copels. How do you feel like he's going to fit in on that defensive line? Because it's one of the more terrifying in the league. Oh, I mean, I know the Rams are really excited for both new additions. Um, I interviewed Mike Waffle, uh, the defensive line coach. He told me that Copels is, quote, a cookie-cutter left end with his hand in the ground. They were really excited about what he could bring uh, to this group. But there's not a lot that you could bring in to improve it, but you're talking about uh, elite depth. You're talking about Copels at the left end. You're talking about Dominique Easley, they said, uh, to be the perfect backup to Aaron Donald. Um you know, Waffle sees easily as easily as a much better fit with the Rams at that free technique than how the Patriots used him. If you, you know, if he's signing the Patriots last year, easily was really effective in New England when he was healthy. So, you know, the, the Rams may have one of the best running backs in the league. They may have a quarterback drafted number one overall, but the strength of this team is that defensive front, especially the line. Uh, and it may be even better this year because it's just so deep. Yeah, and and I'm curious, what kind of production? I mean, w- when you set the bar, obviously you you look at what some defenses have been able to do uh, with. And I'm not suggesting that Goff's going to go out there and win a Super Bowl, but you look at a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, <clears throat> who in his I think you know sophomore or, or I think his freshman season. Ended up going fifteen and one, I believe, 
uh, as the starter, they obviously lost in the AFC Championship. Yeah, they got beat at home. Yep. Yeah, but uh, you, you, you look at how that defense was able to carry Ben Roethlisberger, and even in the Super Bowl when they finally did make it, you know, he posted, I think his, his passer rating was like some BS, like a 13.9. It was like the most miserable passer rating you've ever seen in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a record, actually, and still may be. But, um, but you look at that defense and say, that thing was able to carry him. What, what are we looking at when we look at this defense? Are we looking at something that if they get basic, competent play, if golf can grow week to week to week to week and you can get that growth out of them, is this a team that can be, I'm not going to say uh, run deep into the playoffs. I will say better than the experts and many people are predicting. Well, I mean, when you bring it up to them, you know, they say, hey, you know, you're talking about a Super Bowl from 10 years ago or whatever, but they say, look at last Super Bowl. I mean, the Broncos won the Super Bowl last year with an inept quarterback. (laughs) Peyton Manning was not good in the playoffs, and they did not need him because that defense was so dominating. And um, and it was just – that's what they look at. When you ask these Rams – defensive linemen they say hey you know that's what we want to do and um you know but certainly when you look at it from the big picture um you know the the blueprint for this team winning is the the defense keeping them in game that's what they're going to be this year the defense is going to keep them in the games and the real question is going to be whether or not there's enough offense to win them and i think that's what we're going to be seeing throughout the year with just an absolutely brutal schedule I mean, when you look at the way the schedule sets up, I mean, when you look at all the off-season distractions, when you look at the schedule, you know, when you look at the way the games line up and when they come, I mean, there, there's a lot of hurdles. Um, but the one thing they can kind of sit back on and uh, and hang their hat on is that defensive front. And as long as the as the secondary, you know, is as good as they hope, you know, it. it doesn't let down, I think the defense is going to be good enough to keep them in games, and it's just going to be about whether or not, you know, the offense can score enough points. Well, one person who won't be there this year, captaining, quarterbacking, basically being the locker room leader and on-the-field leader, James Laurinaitis, is... Are you looking at a guy like Mark Barron or Alec Ogletree to to replace him as the leader, or can Aaron Donald do this while being a defensive lineman? Can he sort of take charge of that defense, or do you need that to come from the linebacking group? Do we need one of those guys to step up and accept that role? Well, um, you know, we know this is a young team. And I, I haven't been around this team very long. I mean, we haven't had, but we, there hasn't been a locker room for us to, to go in yet. Um, but, um, you know, losing Laurinaitis and Long, uh, were one of the stories of OTAs. It was, um, you know, we know it's going to represent some adjustment. Uh, it's definitely one of the stories to watch during camp and into the season. Um, from being around the team in OTAs, I know William Hayes is kind of the, the vocal leader of that line. 
Alec Ogletree with his, you know, his move over said he was making the adjustment to flying with the green dot and all the responsibilities that come with it, which include leadership. We, we asked Greg Williams, um, you know, about that void and he didn't think it was an issue. He said that, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of leadership, uh, in that locker room, a lot of leadership on the defensive side of the ball that I think the, the term he used was a lot of voices on that side of the ball. So they didn't seem, you know, every time that we asked that question, uh, it didn't, it seemed like it was, it wasn't even like they addressed it and brushed it off. They didn't even seem worried about it. So, um, you know, so I, I think going forward, that may be something that's kind of asked and answered in, in uh training camp in the, in the first part of uh, the season. And we move on. That's fair enough. The only concern that I'd have, which, you kind of ameliorated was that if there are too many voices, then sometimes I think that the the instruction can get lost because you're not sure who you're supposed to be paying attention to. So that's my worry about having too many voices. You do come game day, you kind of want to have central guys that are meant to relay things Otherwise, you run the risk of having people telling one guy to do two different things, uh, and 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 yeah, that's when things start going wrong on defense. Sure, uh, and I, but, I do I do think that um, interesting about uh, Donald, and we asked one of the the questions that Gurley was asked when he did one of his stand-ups was, you know, about that leadership void and and uh, it, does he see himself as a leader and. And I, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the two, two of the biggest stars on the team, and I think they see themselves, uh, um, maybe I shouldn't speak for them, but it seems like when they answered questions that it was like, you know, I'm a leader on the field, I'm a producer, and, um, and it didn't see, you know, when you, William Hayes says, hey, I'm a leader on this team, I'm, I talk, you know, I, that's my mantle, that's my role, and I think, um, maybe it's too much to ask of, of your star of stars who maybe aren't a quarterback to, you know, to, to produce and to to be the vocal leader. I mean, it's maybe it's good to have some of your your secondary guys be the guys who you know are the are the rah rah guys or however you want to define leadership. So that's what, you know, in, in just my you know month or two around the team, I think that's what I've what I've kind of gathered is that um, you know the leadership guys on this team are even though it's a really young team or maybe some of the other guys. Well, that about covers what I had today, my man. So what I want to give you a chance to do right now is talk about anything that you may have coming up or if you recently written something that you're really proud of and want to give a shout to at peace, now's that time to do so. And I also always urge people to use this time to uh, mention their social media accounts so that way people who have any questions or maybe like that they heard today can can follow up with you on uh, Twitter, social media. Sure, you can follow at uh, at VCS Joe Curley. That's basically at Ventura County Star Joe, and that's what the VCS is there for. So at VCS Joe Curley, um, we're going pretty good on Twitter. I think I started one on on Instagram, but haven't really um, put anything up there yet. Probably we'll get to Snapchat at some point. And um, in terms of coverage, I mean, we we had a great uh, – uh, Kevin Demoff came out and gave a talk um, at the uh, the um, Chamber of Commerce at the, the Canal Valley talking about um, 
you know, the, the Rams moving into the community. If you really, you know, if you're interested in seeing how the team is kind of settling into this, this new community, um, there's two stories. There's one, um, where Demoff spoke at, at that, uh, at that event. And there's another, we did a huge feature that I basically spent the entire OTAs reporting. And it, it jumped last week. It was one of our biggest stories of the, of certainly sports' biggest stories of the year. Um, and the title of it is Rams, um, the Rams next door. We did a, uh, it was really cool. Um, you know, just talking to all the, the players about, I, I, basically what we did was through the OTAs, every time I interviewed somebody, I asked them the same three questions about, um, about the move, about what they thought of the new area and, uh, you know, where they're kind of settling in. So we gathered as much of that as possible and kind of put the best of it together. And it ran on the front page on Sunday, this past Sunday. Um, so that was a, that was a pretty cool thing. We had a really cool, um, photos in that too. So check it out. I think it's, it's actually, uh, pinned to the top of our, of our Twitter account. So at DCS Joe Curley and, uh, I appreciate it, man. The Turf Show Times has been uh, very nice, um, you know, as we kind of – it's interesting. It's, you know, the team has moved, and the, the fans are learning the team, but obviously the local media is learning the team too. So we've been uh, – you know, I went and I've watched last season and try to figure out, you know, who all these guys are. We're kind of learning a lot like the L.A. – a lot like the L.A., you know, sports fan himself. Hey, it's going to be an interesting process for all of us. I mean, this is my first time covering an NFL team. I did college for so long and, and mixed martial arts. So, you know, it's it, there, there's a learning curve, I think, for all of us, and I'm just as excited to to uh, get down to business, as they say, as you are, man. So if you're not following Joe, give him a follow. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter, at FightOnTwist. Uh, we will be doing a lot more of these things in the future as Turf Show Times Radio has returned, uh, and we got it returned with a thunder. So look forward to more of these in the future, as well as Turf Show Times Radio Podcast. I'm Josh Webb, and we'll be back next time here on CSK Radio. There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Details. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.